0: And it's time for the 7th Avenue Project. Yes, this is the 7th Avenue Project, and yes, I am Robert Polly. but no, this is not my usual theme music, because today we're giving over the show to this kind of music, tango. What's so special about tango, you might ask? Well, to listen to tango aficionados, it's not quite like anything else. It's more than a musical form, more than a dance style. It's a language, an outlook, a culture. Maybe you can tell me when this hour is over. Tango arose in late 19th century Argentina, though I should note that Uruguay also claims some paternity. It was a product of the many cultures converging in that part of the world, European, African, Latin American. It became the national music of Argentina, of course, and then swept the globe in the early 20th century, finding a home in many places. The Finns, for instance, are crazy about tango. Tango continues to develop and captivate millions of music lovers and dancers worldwide. We'll talk to a few of them today. Okay, first up today, Tango Songs and Stories with Donald Cohen. Don Cohen made his living for many years as an attorney in Los Angeles, but his first love is music. As a guitarist, he participated in the 50s folk scene in L.A., even jamming with Woody Guthrie and other immortals. He taught music at UCLA, and he's written several books on his favorite musical genres, His most recent is Tango Voices, Songs from the Soul of Buenos Aires and Beyond. It includes a companion CD of tango music through the decades and around the world, and we'll hear selections from it throughout this interview, including this piece, sung by the great Ada Falcone in 1930. It's a version of the song that first got Don Cohen interested in tango about 50 years ago.
1: The song is called Gira Gira. It means wandering. This was written at a time when Argentina was falling apart. It has been one of the wealthiest countries, and after World War I, the country had fallen into tremendous depression. People were walking the streets and starving and wandering, lost from a time of affluence and suddenly a hopeless future. So that kind of wandering. In Argentine dialect, "lunfardo," it also means the streetwalkers, the prostitutes, as they walk, this is what it's called when they walk, it's their ramble, their walk. So Gira Gira also means prostitute. It happens to be one of my, if not my favorite, tango. One that had the profound impression when I first heard it when I was a young guitar teacher and never forgot where I heard it, what I was doing when I heard it. The story is about hopelessness. If you ever expect that when you're down and things are really bad, uh, that somebody's going to give you a helping hand don't because it will never be there if you're so poor you don't even have yesterday's mate leaves to dry in the sun that's how poor you are don't expect help to lift you up it's not going to be around mate is a drink that Argentines and Uruguayans drink many of drink daily eternally
2: <laughs>
0: You have in your family some Argentinian background.
1: Well, my mother's family came to Argentina with the great immigration uh, of, of Jews who left Russia because of the persecution of the pogroms in between the 1880s through 1910 and so on. The family story, I'm sure it's apocryphal, but it's a great story, like my grandfather was in the Russo-Japanese War. In the Russian army, he was drafted. And the story of the family is that he got wounded. And at the end, he, he, when, he, when he mustered him out, he went to a steamboat company and said, give me a ticket to America. And they said, north or south. And he didn't know the difference. <laughs> That's how he ended up in Argentina. I love the story. I doubt if it's true. The truth is that a, um, a philanthropist, Maurice de Hirsch, Baron de Hirsch, a French Jewish philanthropist, paid for a huge number of Jews to leave Russia where they were getting massacred. To go to Argentina. I mean, boatloads. And that's probably, that's more logical. I like my story better, personally. <laughs> but, uh, but there was not only Jews who were coming, there was a huge number of French, Spanish, mostly Northern Italian. La Boca, which is a district of Buenos Aires right by the river, is so Northern Italian that if you couldn't speak Piemonte's, you couldn't even get around. I mean, when you got there, you learned that you have this huge melting pot of people from everywhere. And um, it had a lot to do with how tango was created.
0: Mm-hmm. Good. My next question, what is the origin of tango? What is the world
1: it sprang from? Tango was created by uh, the mixture and upheaval of various people. The basic one were the Argentine Creoles and Gauchos, who had been living for centuries on the on the Pampas and the Plains, the Gauchos used to sing long poems. I mean, they had Gaucho bards or minstrels. These people were thrown off the land, or they were not able to subsist there, and went to the big city. The big city was Buenos Aires. And mostly they were living in the suburbs. Then you mix it with the immigrants from Europe who also had to live in these areas because they, they had no jobs when they came over. Um, and then you also have Africans, there were a large number of Africans who came down from Brazil. They came as slaves. They uh, were very instrumental in the war against Spain, to pre-Argentina and Uruguay, which were freed at the same time, pretty much. Um, so it was a huge mixture. And um, it had a lot to do with how tango was, was created. Mm-hmm. Tell us about this next song from your CD.
0: This is um, Mi Noche Triste, translation, My Sad Night.
1: Mi noche Triste has major importance because it was the first song that told a story it's about a man who uh, lost his love, who left him, and uh, the effect it had on him. It was sung by the great Carlos Gardel. Gardel is so famous in Argentina that you probably can't walk 20 feet without seeing a picture of him or a statue. There's a subway station, a metro station named after him. He is larger than life. He's an absolute legend. And he sang this, and it just created a craze for the tango that we know today, which is about unrequited love, passion, stories. Before that, ostensibly, all the tangos... They were not ballads. And so this is considered one of the great tangos. Notice that it's only accompanied with two guitars. It was done even before the the bandoneon, the accordion like instrument, became popular and had never been recorded.
0: What about the idea of tango as having sprung up from not just the underclass, but also the underworld?
1: Tango was born in brothels, mostly. Uh, bars and uh, taverns and brothels. And the brothels, the men would go to, to meet the women. While they were waiting, they danced between themselves. No refined family would ever listen to tango in the early days. It was considered very, very low class. And uh, the phenomenon in Argentina, of how it became popular, it was very unusual. Some young singers went to Paris to record tango because the best recording equipment is, is in Paris. I think it was 19, probably 1910. Uh, they had occasion to go to a dance salon, of Parisian one, and dance a tango. And it just Everybody went crazy. It became an absolute craze among all the hip Parisians, you know, and it disseminated very rapidly, not only through Europe, but through the French colonies, North Africa, ultimately U.S., even the Balkans. And then it went back to Argentina. When the Argentines heard what a big deal it was in France, they said, well, the French like it, it must be all right. That's when it entered the Homes of the upper and respectable middle classes in Argentina. It came back. Well, on to another
0: song from uh, what's called the Golden Age of Tango that lasted from, I guess, the 1930s through the mid 1950s. Right. And this one is called Yo no sé qué me han hecho tus ojos. I don't know what your eyes have done to me. And it's sung by Oscar Alonso and Carlos Arenas.
1: This song is it's a tango waltz, uh, it was written by a very very popular orchestra leader, uh, Francisco Canaro, and he wrote it for his lead singer Ada Falcon. Ada Falcone was a very famous singer, she had a beautiful range, she was very attractive with the beautiful emerald eyes, she was a diva in the finest sense of the word, and they had this passionate love affair. And of course as love affairs go, ultimately, she would like to, to leave his wife. And of course, she was a mistress. This was very common in Argentina, still is. And, uh, and to leave his wife and marry her, and he agreed to do it. But then he went to his lawyer, and he had come from abject, abject poverty. And the lawyer said he would have to give so much away to his wife, and he just couldn't do it. And uh the story goes that she, she started to withdraw slowly. She didn't go to appearances and concerts, and slowly withdrew and she just went to church and then she started giving away her cars and her furs and her jewelry the decades went by one, two, three, she was gone everybody thought she was dead, I'm talking about 50 uh, more than 50 years
2: I I
1: and two film writers wanted to do a short documentary about her and discovered she was still alive that she had retired to a little house with her mother and become a tertiary nun, which I learned is a nun that does not join an order but informally uh leads a monastic life of poverty. And uh they looked her up and found her, interviewed her, and uh they made a little film which has the same name as the song. You know, say queeman hechos Sos," uh which has this waltz running through it.
3: Tus ojos para mí, para mí, son
1: the orchestra in this recording is Francisco Canara's orchestra. He wrote this song for her and uh, she sang it, but when I heard this duet, I just love this arrangement so much I just felt it was too too good to
3: miss <laughs>
0: Robert Polly, and this is the 7th Avenue Project on Central Coast Public Radio KUSP. The subject today is tango in song and dance. My guest in this part of the show is Donald Cohen, author of Tango Voices, Songs from the Soul of Buenos Aires and Beyond. The book includes a CD of old and new tangos collected by Don Cohen. Here he is describing one of them. This tango
1: which is called Acompañada y sola which means Together and Alone is a recent tango in mean, the last 15, 20 years and the singer is Maria Graña who is today probably the most popular female singer.
2: Sola. Sigo en este mundo Donde más me hundo, donde te perdí Donde las promesas, como la riqueza, ya nada compensan la falta de ti. Sola, finalmente sola, hoy es un gran amor, mañana es nada, sola al volver a casa.
1: This song was written by Chico Navarro, both a singer-performer, most successful, actually, as a writer. Uh, he is a, a member of the real, rather large Jewish population, Argentina, of Eastern European background. The first generation got into tango, mostly doing instrumental in the orchestras. But their children, who, who became real Argentinians, who spoke the language with no accents and were deep into culture immediately became uh, writers, some, some dancers many composers many orchestra leaders intimately involved in the tango experience in, in various ways and uh, Chico Navarro wrote this uh, beautiful tango and uh, I love the arrangement it was very modern and, and her performance
0: is one part music, one part drama really <laughs>
1: She's very dramatic, but, but I have to say that most of the great tango singers, the later ones especially, were partly dramatists. Now, the early ones will sing the song and put a dramatic sob in their voice or a flair. The, the later ones actually spoke some of their lines.
0: Yeah, and you have a good example of that on your CD, as a matter of fact. It's uh, a tango whose melody I think just about everyone will recognize.
1: La compresita is the quintessential tango. When anybody thinks of a tango, the first that comes to their mind is this melody. This is a very unusual performance of it. The singer is a singer named Nelly Omar. And uh, this is the version of Compresita, and I love it because it's so passionate and because it's almost spoken. And uh, nothing else, I think, can convey the the mood that tango can have when it's sung, like this can. ¶¶ Describe to us a little more about how tango went global. Uh, well, tango began in Argentina. But after a period of time, it spread very quickly around the world, pretty much everywhere, including the Far East. I mean, Japan as well, and there's even Chinese pockets of of sorts of tango. One example I have here is a Greek tango. Uh, It's called misanichta, which means midnight. It was recorded early in the period, I would say in the early 20s. Uh, It's a beautiful recording. I love the harmony. And I just uh, thought it was a typical Greek melody, but a real tango. Great. This is Masonicta, a tango
0: from Greece from the 1920s. selection here of tangos um, that show the the many cultural influences on the music, and uh, one in particular caught my ear. It is in Yiddish.
2: (laughs)
1: The song is called Papyrosen. The word means cigarettes. Now, it means cigarettes in Russian and in Polish, but in in Argentina, Papyrosa is a beautiful woman. In the early days uh, of Argentine immigration, uh, many Russian-Polish women would come to Argentina could not find work. Some of them became hostesses in taverns and bars, and many of them became prostitutes, and they smoked. And women of good family in Argentina did not smoke. So the word papirosa, which was their word for cigarette, became associated with them, and the Argentine tango dialect, which was developing not only from northern Italian words, but Russian, French, and in this case, a Yiddish or Russian or Polish word, when they saw these women smoking, started using that word to describe them. It's an old song. The words were written by a, a Jewish writer right after World War One when he saw these. Very sad young people left in the streets, homeless, of selling cigarettes and matches. they sometimes disabled. Uh, this singer is an Argentine Jewish singer, Zuli Goldfarb. She performs it in, in Yiddish, and the song is uh, about poor boy standing in the streets trying to sell his cigarettes and matches. I just could not leave this one out. I just thought,, this was just too great. <laughs>
2: Ich bin ein Assembler gewesen, und sie ist mein Schreien und mein Läufen. Keiner will bei mir nicht käufen, wo es gehen will ich musen, wie er holt.
0: let's listen to another song from your collection. This is a tango from Germany.
2: In einer tanzt
1: This song. Old Donna Clara has an incredibly interesting history. It was very popular in Germany in the 20s. Now, Donna Clara, the, the writer of the lyrics, Fritz Lonerbeta was an Austrian-Jewish lawyer who fell in love with writing and musical comedy. Uh, he was an early defender of the music of, of Josephine Baker when she came to perform and was attacked in some of the racist, racist press. Now, when Hitler came to power... Lone Beethoven, who was one of the early ones put into prison because he was a very vocal member of the Jewish community and anti Nazi, and he, he threw him in. And the sad story is that there were orchestras in the concentration camps, and one of the most famous things they played were tangos the Germans loved, especially this one. And when he was sent to his execution, it is very possible that the orchestra was playing O'Donnell Clara when he was taken away to be executed. <laughs> Now, Donna Clara, I had several different orchestras in the 20s to choose from, but the recordings were not as great as I liked. And then I heard Max uh, Rabe or Robert and his orchestra, the Palast Orchestra, what they do is recreate music of the 30s. Uh, Max Rabe is a Wonderful singer and performer, and it's a great performance. He's
0: he's singing, uh, performing the style that you would have found in cabarets between the wars. Precisely, as the Nazi party was rising to power. So whenever I hear this music, I'm sure it's true for a lot of people. I both like the music, and I feel kind of haunted by knowing what was going on at this time.
1: The thing that I, I should have said, I'm glad you brought it up but you was, and obliquely you did, is that the rise of tango in Europe coincided exactly with the rise of Nazism and fascism, which is tragic because you have this wonderful music coming up, but what's going on in the countries meanwhile is this uh, terrible situation.
2: Fuse, du süße zu sehen, O Donna Ich hab dich tanzen gesehen, O Clara. Du bist wunderful.
0: Now we've been talking about and playing mostly traditional tangos, old tangos. Um, But in the 1960s, tango got uh, what I think is a a major updating from the great bandoneon player and composer Oster Piazzolla. He came up with a style that came to be called Nuevo Tango, New Tango. And um, we've got an example here from your CD. It's called Vuelvo al Sur, I Return to the South. Vuelvo al sur Como se vuelve siempre
4: al amor
1: This particular tango was written for a film. In fact, the producer of the film wrote the lyrics for this song. Piazzolla wrote the music and performed it and arranged it. The singer is a fellow named Roberto Guzinecce. Guzinecce was famous because he has a deep, raspy, very dramatic voice. He was a, a major singer... Uh, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. In the early days, the singers of tango most always were, were tenors, like the voice of American crooners in the 30s, that really high voice. When Gojaneci came along with this deep, gravelly thing that sort of knocked everybody out, and uh, this is a perfect example.
3: Su buena gente,
4: su dignidad, siento el sol.
0: You know, you know, some musical genres um, seem like they were designed for younger voices, rock and roll being the perfect example. But for me, tango sounds better sung by a seasoned voice. You know, listening to this composition with Gozianetje, that old voice, that experienced voice, that
1: weary voice is so perfect for the music. I tend to like people with a voice seems to have an earthy quality. To this day, you can practically date tango in Argentina from pre-Piazzolla and post-Piazzolla. When Piazzolla started writing tangos, which were extremely modern, using dissonance, uh, using uh, different scales and uh, and and uh, so on he was it was heresy mm-hmm. and what changed it was the tremendous acceptance of piazzolla's music outside of argentina and then he became slowly an, an icon in argentina
0: Donald Cohen is author of Tango Voices, Songs from the Soul of Buenos Aires and Beyond. And all of the songs we heard were from the CD that comes with his book. You can learn more about the book and the CD at tangovoices.com. And by the way, I did ask Don Cohen about tango dance, which he professed to have no expertise in, but he did have this to say.
1: It is a very ritualized, formalized structure within which a great deal of passion is contained. Uh, and there was one I think it was a Danish noblewoman Or a French noblewoman Who once said Are you supposed to do this standing up? <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll learn more about the romance And the ritual In the next half of the show Okay, we faced the music Now let's dance I admit that when I started this piece I knew nothing about tango dance I just had the popular misconceptions Luckily I met up with Local tanguero Michael Wheeler Who was good enough to show me The error of my ways He started by inviting me to a practica, one of the weekly tango practice sessions held at the Santa Cruz Veterans Hall. The first thing I realized is that I was wrong about tango dance all these years. The image I had was melodramatic and kind of gaudy, a lot of strutting and head snapping and that kind of thing. Well, I was thinking of ballroom tango, the kind you see in dance competitions. But what they're doing here is Argentine tango, the real tango. And it's the opposite of the ballroom stuff. It's soft-spoken and subtle and not showy at all. On the dance floor, a dozen or so couples, young and old, glide past, silent and completely absorbed in the intricate steps. They seem to inhabit a world of their own making, a better world than this one. I feel like I'm looking at an idealized version of coupledom itself. Two people tracing a graceful path through life. Or rather, two perfectly entwined paths, since there seems to be a lot of room for individuality in this dance. And I may not be tripping. It turns out there may be something to these ideas, according to tango authority Christine Denniston. She's a well-known tango teacher and author of the book The Meaning of Tango. She spoke to me from her home in London. Well, let's uh, make it clear from the outset that we are not talking about ballroom tango, the the kind of thing people have seen on TV and um, the histrionic form of dance that maybe people think is tango.
5: Right. Um, Ballroom tango, the kind that you see on Dancing with the Stars, which is sometimes called international tango, was actually invented by a German man called Freddy Kemp in 1933. And he'd come to compete in some ballroom competitions in London, and he... Didn't like the way tango was being danced <laughs> because he thought it wasn't in time to the music properly. <laughs> he wanted it to be more rhythmic. And he came up with a dance of his own invention, which, as he said at the time, had elements of tango, elements of the paso doble, and a lot of things he'd made up himself.
3: Uh-huh.
5: And that's actually the origin of ballroom tango. But because it's very spectacular, it was really effective in competition because it draws the eye of the judges. So the people who were dancing a more traditional kind of tango that's closer to the original tango, to the real thing, as it was danced in Buenos Aires, didn't do one in the competitions because they weren't as noticeable, they weren't as flashy.
0: Well, we're going to focus here on the Argentinian tango, and um, having read your book, The Meaning of Tango, the story of an Argentinian dance, I wanted to... um, To focus on on one particular element of that story that Mm -hmm. that you tell that that I I found quite fascinating, and it regards the relationship between the sexes uh, in the history of tango and in the dance itself. Um, Could you tell me a little bit about the the origins of tango and how it um, involved um, uh, the relationship between men and women uh, at that particular time in history, turn of the century, Argentina?
5: makes tango unique in my experience in the world of social dances, generally speaking, if you're in a city um, and you go out dancing, you'll mostly find that more women than men are in any dance hall because women tend to be very attracted to dance and men sometimes need to be persuaded it's a good idea. Mm -hmm. So once they are persuaded of it, they do realize that it is. What was really unusual about Buenos Aires in the late 19th and early 20th century was that it was an immigrant community Much the same way that you had in the Wild West, there were were communities where there were very, very few women, because there were people, pioneers, coming into the new country, um, creating a new society. And mostly those pioneers in the 19th and 20th century, those migrants, would-be men. Particularly, though, in Buenos Aires, you had a sophisticated capital city with all the cultural advantages that a capital city has, that a big city with lots of people has. Um, And huge numbers of immigrants, most of whom were coming specifically looking for work and thinking that they were probably going to go home at some point. So single men of marriageable age pouring into the country. So you had a situation at the end of the 19th century where more than half the population of Buenos Aires were immigrants. And of those immigrants, 98% roughly were men. Hmm. It was very, very difficult for a man who was interested in being with a woman to get himself into a relationship or even to spend any time with a woman, even to touch a woman, to come near to a woman. And really, the only options that a man had were either to go to a brothel or to dance. So, that's one of the reasons that tango became so important in Buenos Aires and why the relationship between the man and the woman is so important in tango. In other dances, You're expressing the music, you're moving in a way that makes you feel good. In tango, you're getting an opportunity to be with another human being, to spend time with another human being. It's a holiday, a break from a very difficult life. It's hard. It wasn't easy for an immigrant ever anywhere to make money, it wasn't easy to survive, and when you had no one to fall back on, Mm -hmm. tango provided a connection and an intimacy. It might only last for three minutes, but it was a great deal better than nothing.
0: It was a very special kind of um, relationship during that that brief period when people were dancing. I mean, am I right in thinking there wasn't a lot of talking, there wasn't a lot of getting to know you, there was a very formalized sort of ritual uh, in the dance itself.
5: The dance itself is a language, it makes speech unnecessary.
0: Mm -hmm. In your book, there are a number of old photographs from, again, turn of the century Argentina, um, and they depict men dancing with men. What's going on there?
5: Well... Think about that imbalance that you had in Buenos Aires with so many men hoping to dance with so few women. The women were in a very strong position. You didn't have to be the most beautiful woman in the room because there were so few women in the room that you were beautiful just because you were a woman. You didn't even have to be the best dancer in the room. Every man would want to dance with you because you were a woman. The men were in the opposite situation. If you went into a dance hall and there were, well, for for the sake of argument, 10 women and a 100 men. Why would the woman dance with a man who couldn't already dance well? Mm -hmm. There was no reason. Mm -hmm. Why would a woman dance with a beginner? Unless she had some other reason, perhaps he was very rich or incredibly handsome, well, then perhaps it might be worth her while. But if she's just going out to dance, she wants to dance with a man who can dance.
3: Mm -hmm.
5: So there was only one way for a man to learn how to dance, and that was by learning to dance with another man. In fact, the men practiced together on a very regular basis, this has actually continued right up until the 1950s and, uh, and still happens to a lesser extent today in Buenos Aires, where the men will practice with each other will dance with each other so as to find the best way of giving the woman that they dance with later on when they go out to a social dance the best possible experience the more she enjoys dancing with you, the more likely she is to dance with you again, and the more likely she is to tell her friends that they should dance with you too. The better you dance, the better your chances of getting your arms around a woman. And that was really important.
0: What, what exactly um, does uh, pleasing a woman in tango consist of? What is a good partner?
5: That's a very complicated question, <laughs> and yet in many ways it's very simple. To me, the most important thing about a good relationship between a leader and a follower in tango is that they pay attention to each other. The less you think about your own dancing and the more you think about the other person, the better your own dancing is going to be and the more pleasure you'll give to the other person as they dance with you. So you're actually entering into a kind of contract. I will give you the maximum amount of pleasure possible in return for which you will give me the maximum amount of pleasure possible, which seems like a pretty good deal to me.
0: <laughs> um, I get the impression from reading your book that that um, that leader and follower do not equate to uh, dominance and submission.
5: And that's a very important point. Uh, it's very easy to get the idea that the man is in control and that the woman is his slave being thrown around at, at his whim. And that's absolutely not the relationship at all. It's very interesting. If you look at the way that tango has emerged from Argentina and gone into the culture of the Northern Hemisphere in Europe and in America, there are very powerful images. Everybody hears the word tango and immediately gets a really powerful image in their mind. And often those images are of something... Almost slightly sadomasochistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and a sense of uh, abandonment into some bizarre kind of passion. Right. And I think the reason that people project those kinds of images onto the tango is because it is so very intimate. It seems as though there's something. Um, it, it seems as though that's taken out of its context and made into a caricature when people look at it. In reality, it's a very cooperative action. And if one of the dancers is in the higher status position, it is, in fact, the woman.
0: And how so?
5: Well, first of all, the dance was created in an environment where the woman naturally had a high status.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: Um, so that inevitably was reflected in the dance. But more than that... The the relationship between the man and the woman when they're dancing, um, that is assuming that you have a man dancing what is traditionally seen as the man's role and a woman dancing what is traditionally seen as the woman's role, which, as you said, isn't always the case. The relationship between the two of them when they're dancing is the man's job is to please the woman and the woman's job is to allow herself to be pleased. Aha,
0: uh-huh, aha. Uh-huh. I, I notice in your description of those dance halls uh, during that early period of tango, the, the man really was at the beck and call of the woman. Uh, it was the woman who got to choose who she danced with and who she would dance with again or not dance with again, and, and the power was entirely hers.
5: Well, we're talking about a, a situation of competition, if you like. I mean, competition mm-hmm. always tends to um, encourage people to raise their game. So the competition in the dance halls encouraged the men to raise their game. Of course, you're talking about something that exists within a wider culture. Mm -hmm. And within the wider culture, um, in the late 19th and early 20th century, you're talking about a time when women were finding a kind of power that they hadn't had for a long time. At the same time, they're also struggling with a fairly patriarchal society. So it's... If one starts to go into the depths of it, it becomes quite complicated. But certainly in the dance hall, the woman got to choose whether she danced or not, and there was absolutely no reason for a woman to dance with a man who wasn't going to give her pleasure, and certainly no reason at all for a woman to dance with a man who might hurt her or cause her any kind of discomfort.
0: Um, I also note that in your description of men learning from men uh, initially before entering the dance halls, the novice had to take the role of the follower and so take on the the role that would later be assigned to, to the woman um, before he could become a leader. Is, yes. is that correct?
5: Yes, that's right. Um, if we go back to something that I said before, that the nature of tango is that it's a kind of communication between the two people who are dancing, between the two bodies, something that actually takes the place of a language. So it, in a way, makes language unnecessary for the moment that those two people are together. And if you look at the way that the men learnt to dance in Buenos Aires at that time, it's very similar to the way that a child learns to speak a language. First of all, the child listens. And only once the child has listened for a while and does the child start to try making little noises and yes. then listen some more and make some more words. And then gradually the words become phrases until eventually, by the time the child's maybe three years old, you can have a proper conversation.
3: Mm-hmm. It
5: was exactly the same situation with the men learning to dance in Buenos Aires. To begin with, they followed, which is, uh, in the first level, the listening part of the communication. though as you get better at it, um, the communication becomes much more a two-way process. Once they'd started to understand the grammar and the vocabulary of the dance, then once they knew how it worked, they were in a position to have a go at trying to do it from the other side, to have a go at speaking. So it's a very natural, organic way of learning to do something. Also, the experience of dancing the woman's role makes it absolutely clear what feels good to the woman and what doesn't.
3: Mm-hmm.
5: It's, it's a really vital component of learning how to do it properly. If you haven't felt it, you really don't know whether you're doing something that feels nice or feels
0: horrible, mm. you know. The, the more we talk about it, the more I I sense that learning tango, learning it, learning to do it well, uh, and enter into this relationship is 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 in a sense learning sort of advanced social skills, attentiveness, cooperation, humility, um, listening. Is that in part um, the meaning of tango? Uh, to to borrow a phrase from your your book title,
5: um, I think you've you've really hit it on the head there. There's an awful lot of that. Um sometimes people have said that it should be taught by relationship counsellors to prevent people <laughs> from getting divorces. <laughs> um, and it's a wonderful thing, you know, they say the best leaders in any in any um in any situation are people who've had an experience of following. You know, they say in the military, for example, the best commanders are the one who ones who've worked their ways up their way up through the ranks. Um you have to understand both sides of a relationship in order to be able to to express the relationship in the fullest way. And you have to be able to put yourself into the other person's shoes, understand what the other person's going through, and be in touch with them as they're doing it. Be actually aware of what's going on with them. They are marvelous social skills and, uh, and very, very useful ones. I personally found them extremely useful in my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You've done other forms of dancing, I, I'm assuming. I have, yeah. But tango is different in these respects?
5: Yes, it really is. It really is. Um, All dance is a form of communication, and it's possible to treat tango as though it is another dance. And sometimes you see that in classes. People learn some steps and put them together into a routine, and then it really is just another dance. Then, to me, it's not really tango in that the meaning has been taken out of it. But when tango is done properly, it reaches a level that no other social dance I've ever come across reaches. It's the purest essence of social dance. It's, it's focusing right into what makes social dance wonderful and distilling that into the most, marvelous, the most marvelous thing it could possibly be.
0: Well, Christine, thank you so much for your time today. Christine Denniston is author of The Meaning of Tango. Her website is totaltango.com. You're listening to The 7th Avenue Project on Central Coast Public Radio KUSP. I'm Robert Polly, and the topic du jour is tango in music and dance. Next, Confessions of a Tango Addict. Michael Wheeler, my guide to the local tango scene, dances tango, teaches it, writes a newsletter about it, and even picks a lot of the tasty tunes they play in the tango practice sessions in this area.
4: I never had the real idea that I would become a dancer, but about three and a half years ago, I saw this ad in the Good Times. It said, learn tango, $2. And I said, wow, where can you find an evening of entertainment of any kind for $2? So I checked it out. And it's the best $2 I ever invested in. I joined John and Nancy Lingaman at the uh, Episcopal Church in Santa Cruz, which is that big red church across from Nickelodeon. For six and a half months, I struggled with this dance called tango. I had two left feet, I had no sense of the music. It's like learning to walk all over again. Eventually, I got it, I started taking other classes and started to just really become obsessed with it. The music itself is the big draw. It's the hook. Because when you first encounter tango, it's a little confusing. Because it's fundamentally a, a base of African rhythms with the floral essence of European melodies at least two different cultures simultaneously contributing to the sound. This integrates into your system in such a way that you follow the passion of the music. By and large, when you're talking about tango, authentic tango, it is improvisational and it's in the moment, which requires both partners to be fully present with each other. And they communicate with one another through the music and the movement of their bodies In tango the close embrace is very close your chest to chest your heart-to-heart human beings have a need to be a part of a community and to be a part of something special Uh, touching and embracing other human beings, is, is actually a deep necessity. And it's something that seems to be lost in the industrial age, and that is one of the reasons that people who discover tango become very passionate about it, because you get to embrace other people, total strangers. The way that you ask for a dance in a milonga is to not use words, but to use something called the cabaceo, which is eye contact and an acknowledgement through eye contact of receiving of a dance. So when you're looking at a tangera and you give her the eye and she smiles and nods her head, then you have just made a connection and a commitment to meet on the dance floor. And while you're dancing, there's no talking. It's very beautiful. When you have the beautiful music, and you and your partner both hear the music the same way, and you're moving and flowing with it, You everything is right in the universe. We call it the tango moment, which when you're a beginner is a fleeting thing. And if you have just a moment of it, it hooks you and leads you ultimately to thoughts of moving to Buenos Aires and buying a home. <laughs> I have several friends who've done that. In ballroom tango, all of the energy is cast out from the center of the relationship of the ballroom dancers, where in Argentine tango, in, in authentic, traditional tango, all the energy is drawn into the center of the relationship of the two dancers. And it focuses around the co-joined hearts and the axes of the dancers. What's nice about the tango is that age, ethnicity, and even your political persuasions are irrelevant to the dance. So you'll see somebody very young, dancing with somebody very old, enjoying it. You'll see a staunch Republican and, and a very liberal Democrat dancing together with smiles on their faces because it equalizes everybody. It, na- it naturalizes your, your heart and your soul through the music and the movement. And I think that it's the sharing of tango which has the most profound effect on people in the Tango community. It has been the glue that has brought people with dissimilar backgrounds together from different cultures and have united us pretty much in this joyful experience that we call Tango. If I didn't have a day job, I would probably try to Dance tango every day of the week,
0: most of the hours of the day. And finally, today we'll hear from Nancy Lingaman, who, with her husband John, teaches the tango classes that have hooked Michael Wheeler and so many others. We spoke as she and John were getting ready for another of those Wednesday night tango sessions that take place at the Calvary Episcopal Church in Santa Cruz.
6: It's a place where people can come to learn tango and be inspired by it, and also to practice it. It's called a practica in the old tradition of practicas in Argentina. We go to Argentina every year to study tango and to go to the dances called milongas. We try to create a friendly atmosphere. We love this venue because uh, It seems that young and old come to our classes, and there's quite a mixing of generations, which is a lot of fun. And when you go to Buenos Aires, you see the same thing. Some of the greatest milongueros are in their 80s, and they dance with women of all ages, and then there's some young milongueros who are dancing with ladies of all ages. And that's just kind of fun and thrilling for everybody. It's not that you have to be in love and you're expressing your great love for this person through dance. You have a love of tango which you cultivate, and we hope to achieve that here, to have people fall in love with this dance the way we have. And then you use it in whatever way you wish. You can just take that two minutes or three minutes of the totally absorbed with the dance and with the person that is following you or, leadi- or that you're leading, and then it's over and you say goodbye and you probably will not dance with that person the rest of the evening unless, you know, unless you really want to. I think the most special thing about it is that you come up with it moment by moment and you have to be very open because you're both creating it as it's happening. It's not just that the woman is following. She's hearing the rhythm, but she has the freedom to express different aspects of the rhythm. She can express the melody. She can suggest to her partner, just through body language, what would be beautiful, what she might like to do. And then he has to be to let her have some freedom in it. And yet at the same time, you are in an embrace you can be either in a close embrace or have a little distance between you but you are dependent on each other to make this thing happen it's it's a thrill that way i've been dancing my entire life i'm in my 60s now and uh, i teach ballet i've i've had a strong ballet background i've also been a flamenco dancer for the last 30 years or so. And I adore flamenco, but it's more of an individual expression of the music. And it is a thrill because it is an evolving art. The same is true for Argentine tango. It's been evolving over the years. It's not just a static set of steps that you learn and then you're done with learning. It's the kind of an art that uh, you, you are never finished with, it's endless. People become addicted to it. And I'm sure John and I are addicted to it also. We dance it every day, morning and probably evening. And uh, it is it is a chance to relax and yet be uh, free of whatever else is happening in the world, in your lives, and you're just paying attention to the music, which is quite beautiful. It will add something very special to your relationship. It's out of the realm of your ordinary life together, eating, sleeping, whatever it is that couples do, and certainly you can't argue and dance tango. You have to be right there in the moment uh, with your, your partner, and it's, it is a very special element to add to your marriage or your relationship. I love dancing tango with my husband. That's my favorite person to dance with. Uh, But I also love just being a woman, dancing with a man, strangers uh, even. Sometimes I'll go to Madrid by myself for studying flamenco, and I'll just go to a dance, a tango dance. I am in a strange city, in a strange country. I don't speak the language, but I know tango. They can usually tell by my shoes that I'm a good dancer, or maybe the way I walk or something, and then uh, they give me a nod. I'll go and dance with somebody. And I feel like I'm the eternal woman dancing with the eternal man. And I don't even know this person. And we can create a beautiful dance together. And then we just go our separate ways. But it is a chance to express the femininity of the tango follower. And he can express the masculine element of the tango leader. So it's just a man and a woman relating. But it's not, it's not um, anything but the tango. <laughs> but it could be. It could be, but in my case, it isn't.
0: (laughs) And that is it for today's 7th Avenue Project. If we've piqued your curiosity, you can find out more about tango classes and events here on the Central Coast and throughout California at tangomango.org. Special thanks today to Don Cohen and Michael Wheeler. I'm Robert Polly. I'll be back next week. And you can check out our website at 7thAvenueProject.com for more information on this program, audio from past shows, and more.